It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One, and I am joined for the Jets Bengals post game report, a game in which the Jets went down twenty two to six to the no longer winless Bengals by the great beat reporter from NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media, Mr. Matt Stipulkowski. Matt, this is not how a lot of us expected it to go. Uh, no, I can't imagine that this is how uh, most Jets fans expected the three-game winning streak to end. But, you know, uh, I guess crazier things have happened. And uh, I-, I can't say it's a, a total shock. Uh, you know, these are still the Jets at the end of the day, as much as fans might not want to hear it. And sometimes they do some crazy and painful things. And Sunday certainly falls into that category. Matt, I've said this before, but this was another game that reminded me a lot of the John Morton offensive coordinator days when he was here in 2017, where they would get off to a nice start when things were going on script, and then it would all fall apart as soon as things weren't going on script. They had a really nice opening drive. I thought that it should have resulted in a touchdown. There are a lot of people arguing about Robbie Anderson and whether or not that was his fault or Sam Darnold's fault. I fall somewhere in the middle. I think that Darnold underthrew it a little bit, but Anderson had two hands on it. He should have come down with it. It should have been a touchdown. They end up getting a field goal, and everything looked like it was going in the right direction. They got a stop on the first drive, too, and then it all fell apart. Everybody said coming into this game that the biggest weakness that the Bengals had, and the statistics backed this up, was their inability to stop the run. They're dead last in the league, and more to the point, they were terrible at stopping outside runs. Inside, they had Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlop, two of the better players in the league. So that wasn't where you wanted to go. You wanted to go to the outside. The Jets only ran the ball 15 times in this game, and almost all of them were inside. What was going on here? Yeah, I don't really know what the the plan was there, honestly. Um, They got off to a a good start running the ball. I mean, they uh, ran the ball to four and a half yards per carry in the first half, and then obviously got away from it in the second half. And part of that is the score and then having to chase the game a little bit. But even so, I mean, there were some questionable decisions in the first half too. I can think of a few times where the Jets were in third and short, third and two, third and three, and they decided to drop back and throw the ball. And uh, I seem to remember Darnold getting sacked in those situations, which is pretty brutal. I mean, you would think you would want to trust your running game against the league's worst rushing defense in those kinds of uh, third and short situations. But uh, Adam Gase didn't rely on it for whatever reason. And, uh, like you said, the kinds of runs that they were uh, going with were probably not the the most effective against this Bengals defense either. So uh, it, it was a bizarre day all around, just uh, as far as Adam Gates' play calling goes. It was uh, one that I certainly did not understand. 
this felt like another game where Gase was just outsmarting himself because if you look at what we were just talking about, the smart play here was to run it and run it often. They got off to a good start, like you said, and if you run outside, the Bengals are terrible at stopping that. But if you run inside, you run right into Geno Atkins, who's one of the best in the league. And if you have Darnold dropping back a ton, it plays to one of their strengths, which is Carlos Dunlop, who came back after a couple of games away and has played really, really well. He had a huge game today. And obviously, if you're giving him one-on-ones against Brandon Shell, who really shouldn't be starting, but he's starting because A, Adoga's hurt, and B, Adoga wasn't good anyway, so the Jets had no better options. When you're playing to the opposing team's strengths, I don't know what else to say other than that's just a poor job of coaching. Yeah, the weird part too is like even when they were running up the middle, they were having some degree of success. They, you know, they weren't rattling off 15, 20 yard runs that often, but Bell at least was getting to the second level a lot of the times, which is something you haven't really been able to say that much so far this season. So, you know, they were picking up four, five, six yards at a clip, which the last I checked, if you do that three times in a row, you get a first down and you can keep going. So, I didn't understand why they didn't, you know, even if they didn't think that they were capable of running the ball outside for whatever reason, they could have stuck with the interior running game and just, you know, four yards and a cloud of dust and he would have been fine. So uh, it really didn't make much sense on a lot of different levels there. And, uh, you know, it just continued to snowball as the game got away from the Jets as well. So uh, it, it was it was ugly all around for sure. Let's talk about Sam Darnold. I didn't think he played poorly. I didn't think he was great by any stretch, but no huge mistakes. There were a couple of questionable decisions. As the half was winding down, the Jets had 25 seconds left on the clock, no timeouts. He threw into double coverage in the middle of the field, which even if it was caught, who knows if the Jets would have been able to make it to the line in time to get a field goal. They would have had to spike the ball, obviously. So that was a questionable decision, but nothing too egregious. There were a ton of drops in this game that absolutely killed Darnold. In fact, on that first drive, we talked about the fact that Robbie Anderson couldn't come up with that pass in the end zone. There was another one with Brexton Berrios where it was right in his chest if he would have caught that it's an easy first down and the drive continues instead they ended up settling for a field goal I thought that Darnold's stat line was a little misleading because of all the drops and the fact that he was dealing with all of this pressure from Dunlop all day the offensive line had four backups and by the way Compton was terrible today Tom Compton numerous penalties and I want to get into that in a little bit and he was just getting killed all day long so if we're going to say something positive in a weird roundabout way we can say that while Sam Darnold wasn't exactly electrifying like he had been the previous three weeks I don't think that he was anything close to the problem in this game I thought he did what he needed to do and if the team around him would have played better they would have had a good chance to win they still had plenty of opportunities they just couldn't get anything going. I thought that the game plan was bad. The defense, as we'll get into in a little bit, was really bad. The players around Darnold, whether it was the offensive line or the guys dropping passes, were all bad. And while Darnold made a couple of questionable moves, for the most part, he was okay. Yeah, exactly. That's how I would describe him, too. I mean, he was meh, basically. I mean, his stat line, like you said, was a little bit misleading just because of those drops probably should have had a handful of more completions and, you know, tack on the yards and the completion percentage with that as well. But, um, you know, a few strange decisions, like you said, he forced a few balls in there and you'd prefer he not do that. But uh, on the whole, a decent enough day for Darnold, as you mentioned, the supporting cast, not good. I will give, uh, I guess, some props to Robbie Anderson because he actually did have a good game. Mm -hmm. He uh, went over a hundred yards for the Jets. So, uh, 
surprising, you know, not to disparage Robbie here, but if you had to tell me one guy that was going to step up in a tough game and really kind of carry the load, it probably wouldn't have been my first choice for Robbie Anderson, but he was that guy today. He was Sam Darnold's go-to guy. He was moving the chains. He was coming up with some chunk plays. So uh, Robbie Anderson did a good job, but yeah, basically everyone else dropped the ball, both literally and metaphorically for Sam Darnold. What didn't even, uh, mean to make that a pun, but kind of walked myself right into it. So uh, it wasn't good. And like you said, the offensive line was bad. Tom Compton, terrible. Uh, Kelvin Beecham, no better. You know, he had multiple penalties as well. And obviously the one for a safety. So that wasn't exactly pretty to watch. Um, but yeah, Darnold in short was fine and everything else was not so good. Let's talk about those penalties, Matt, because they've been a persistent problem. I know that the Jets were hot the last couple of weeks, so we forgot about it. But there were a lot of weeks during the season where the Jets have had a ton of penalties and it never got straightened out all the way through. Like I said, a couple of weeks where everything seemed to be going well and everything was coming up smelling like roses. But it had been a problem through most of the season. It resurfaced today and that's got to be on the coach. At a certain point, when you're talking about a lack of discipline, the coach has got to take the fall for that. Yeah, I, to some extent, I agree. I will say that some of these uh, penalties, especially the offensive line penalties, like the false starts and stuff like that, for sure. I mean, that 100% falls on the coach. Stuff that happens after the snap, like holding and everything like that, is, I'm sure, partially bad technique and the coaching plays into that. And, you know, poor play is, you know, doesn't excuse you for grabbing guys. But, um, some of these guys, I mean, Beecham and Compton just also aren't great offensive linemen either. So you're going to get beat and then you're going to do stuff out of desperation and try to get away with it. And they clearly were not getting away with it today. So um, if it was more of the, the pre-snap variety or like the dumb, you know, celebration penalties, unnecessary roughness, stuff like that, I'd be a little bit harder on Gase. But the fact that it is part of a, a persistent problem, a trend that's been going all season long, obviously makes it tougher to give him the benefit of the doubt. But um, so, uh, you know, kind of half and half here. It's not all on the players. It's not all on the coaching. It's a little bit of both. But, um, yeah, I, I will just say those holding penalties are a mix of things. It's not just bad coaching. It's also bad talent on the offensive line, obviously. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. 
Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about the defense now, Matt. I was pointing out in the pregame report with Joe Blewett on Sunday morning that the two things that you had to watch with the Bengals were Andy Dalton because he was coming back, and while he's not exactly a great quarterback anymore, never was a great quarterback, he's still a capable starting quarterback, which was not the case with Finley, who he had been benched for. So this is something that was going to help the Bengals' chances of winning this game. Also, he had the quickest release of any quarterback in the league this year. A lot of that because the offensive line for the Bengals is bad, so they had to get rid of the ball out of necessity. I said to watch that because if he was able to do that against the Jets, it could be to their detriment. And then on top of that, I said they didn't really have anybody in the way of playmakers with the exception of Tyler Boyd. So if they were able to stop Tyler Boyd and if they were able to keep Dalton from getting the ball out quick, they should be fine because there weren't going to be very many ways that the Bengals could hurt them besides that. Unfortunately, Dalton was able to get the ball out real quick and Boyd was able to smash the Jets pretty much all afternoon. Yeah, and don't forget the fact, or don't forget the fact that they managed to make Tate look pretty darn good too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wound up being their leading receiver with 66 yards. So, uh, you know, on top of the guys you were actually worried about, they managed to make some other guys dangerous as well. So, uh, Arthur Millett kind of fell back to earth today. I think that's fair to say, and didn't exactly have a, a great game. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just wasn't good all around from the Jets. They had trouble in coverage, and uh, obviously because Dalton was getting the ball out so quickly, they didn't get a chance to really get much pressure on him so uh it was all on the cornerbacks today to kind of you know just hold on to their guys and, and be decent in coverage for a couple seconds and they were not doing a good job of that and uh you know they did make some adjustments in the second half they you know managed to hold the Bengals to just three points on offense in the second half but boy that first half was really really not pretty for the Jets defense They came into this game being the number one rushing defense in the NFL, but they also, over the last couple of games, had increased the pressure on the quarterback. They had gotten more sacks, they had gotten more pressures, they had gotten more quarterback hits. But in this game, partially because Dalton was getting the ball out quickly, like we said, and partially because they just couldn't get any pressure, Dalton had plenty of time to throw. This was a really bad showing in terms of being able to try and get to the quarterback for this Jets defense. Strangely enough, when you watch the game, you thought that the rushing defense didn't do very well, but then you look at the box score and realize the Bengals didn't get a lot of yards on the ground. I guess a lot of the yards that we thought came on the ground came from screens and such because you look at the numbers and it just doesn't seem to match what you watch during the game. But the defensive line, they weren't the same defensive line that we had seen the last couple of weeks, and that really cost the Jets here. Yeah, like you said, I mean, they didn't get uh, any sort of pressure, really, and there's a combination of reasons for that. But uh, And, yes, they were getting burned on some of those screen passes and stuff there. So it, it certainly wasn't the kind of game that we've gotten kind of used to seeing from the Jets' defensive line. So uh, certainly a letdown performance for that unit. Um, you know, not a, a complete tire fire, I guess, by any means. There were, there were bigger issues, I suppose, but uh, it certainly – 
wasn't a good day for them. Um, you know, I, I think more of it would probably fall on the cornerbacks uh, as far as the defensive problems go on Sunday, but the defensive line certainly played uh, their share of the role. Let's talk coverage. Neville Hewitt, who's never exactly been known for his coverage skills, got torched quite a bit. Marcus May wasn't exactly looking good, and like you said, Arthur Millette seemed to fall back down to earth. I didn't think Blessing Austin was that bad. He was nowhere near as good as he had been the last couple of weeks, but I didn't think he got torched or anything. And Jamal Adams, we're going to get to him in a bit, but it was clear fairly early on that he wasn't himself and he wasn't being used in the same capacity that he had been used in that was so successful for Greg Williams over the past couple of weeks. In addition to the defensive line taking a step back, I think we could say that this secondary took two steps back this week. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely ugly. And uh, to throw out another name of a guy that kind of got burned in coverage at one point, I seem to remember Terrell Basham getting torched at some point, which is probably not what the kind of matchup you want if you're Greg Williams. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as the secondary goes, it was a rough day all around. Um, like you said, I didn't think Austin was all that bad. He was uh, fine, I suppose, or at least if you're grading on a curve, he was fine. Uh, based on what everyone else did. But like you said, Jamal Adams didn't have a good day. You know, we've obviously become accustomed to him making a big impact, and he just didn't do that on Sunday. Uh, We found out after the game, obviously, that it was because he had gotten banged up early on and, you know, wasn't really able to be effective after that. So that uh, certainly seems to have played a role. But Marcus May and Arthur Millette weren't exactly picking up the slack once Jamal Adams kind of got nicked up there. So, uh, unfortunately, as soon as he went down, it seems to have rippled out throughout the secondary, and that's uh, you know kind of unacceptable for the Jets. You guys got to be able to pick things up a little bit. I know the secondary is already decimated, but it's not like they were facing a team with a stacked wide receiver core or anything like that. They managed to make the Bengals' targets look a lot better than they probably are. I want to come back to Jamal Adams and the injury in a little bit, but first I want to go back to the coaching. You talked about how Greg Williams made some adjustments in the second half, but Adam Gase didn't seem to. So is this something that you think players in the locker room are privately talking about here? Because Adam Gase has had big problems in terms of adjustments or lack thereof. This goes back to his days with the Dolphins. And so if you see one guy running a unit who's able to do it and another guy who's running another unit who also happens to be the head coach who does doesn't seem to be able to do it and has no answers, that's got to be concerning, especially when you see the comparing and contrasting, because if you see one guy who can do it and the other guy who can't, it sticks right out at you. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is kind of a stark when you put it that way, but uh, if the players in the locker room are concerned, they're at least doing a, a decent job of hiding it right now. They, they haven't really, uh, you know, there's been no real rumbling about guys being frustrated or upset with Gates and his play calling, and they've all still had his back at least for the time being but you know there's still four games left for things to change I suppose and uh, the fact that the Jets just scored 34 points in a row three straight games I'm sure kind of uh, helps insulate Gates from any sort of criticism a little bit but yeah if if stuff like this continues where the defense manages to adjust and pick up the slack and Gates's offense doesn't uh, you know it's certainly easy to understand that a Fisher could grow there. Matt, let's talk special teams. To his credit, Sam Ficken did fine today. He hit his two field goal opportunities, and that's all that was asked of him. But beyond him, the special teams was very, very bad. Certainly nothing that we're used to seeing from a Brant Boyer coach team. Yeah, I mean, just a lot of flags, which is not good. Uh, Lachlan Edwards didn't exactly have his best day. He managed to 
uh, you know, hit some short punts that kind of hurt the Jets' field position-wise. It was certainly sloppy, and like you said, not what you expect from Brent Boyer's unit. Normally they're uh, a bit sharper or at least can make some impact plays to make up for whatever mistakes they do make. But uh, on the whole, the special teams was definitely a net negative, uh, you know, outside of those two thickened kicks, I suppose. It sounds weird to blame a punter, but Matt, when your punter is constantly putting you at a detriment because of the short punts and giving the other team a short field to work with, that's a really dangerous thing to do all afternoon, and the Jets paid for it over and over again. Yeah, for sure. And there was the one that sticks out in my mind right early on in the game, and I think they managed to hold the Bengals to a field goal when they went up 10-3 early on there, but it was when the Jets were backed up in their own end and, you know, Lachlan Edwards was, you know, in the shadow of his own end zone, but he only pushed the Bengals out to, I think, the Jets 45. I mean, they were still on the right side of midfield after the punt, which is, is pretty ugly. It was a 40-yard punt, I think, if I remember right, which I guess out on its face it isn't, you know, a, it doesn't scream at you that it's a terrible number, but in the situation, the Jets needed a lot better kick than that. And, uh, they didn't get it. They gave the Bengals a really short field, like you said, and it just seemed like that happened all day long for the Jets, where anytime they had a chance to kind of put field position with a good kick or something like that, they just didn't get the kick they needed. Matt, I should mention that Spiro Ditas, towards the end of the broadcast on television, made us aware of the fact that the Jets have made NFL history because the 2019 Jets became the first team in league history to lose twice in one season to a team that was 0-7 or worse. Of course, they did this a couple of weeks ago against the Dolphins and then today against the Bengals. As I joked on Twitter, I think that makes them candidates for the Hall of Shame. Yeah, uh, not the kind of history you want to make if you're Adam Gase. Uh, that is certainly an ugly, ugly statistic to have in your first season. It, it's an ugly stat to have in your pocket anytime you're a head coach, but to do it in your first season with a team is certainly not much better. And uh, yeah, the, the strangest part about it is the Jets managed to sandwich a three-game winning streak in between those two historically bad losses. So uh, it's been an interesting five weeks in Jets land. An up and down roller coaster ride. That has been what the 2019 season is turning out to be for the New York Jets. Let's go into the locker room, Matt. I want to start with Jamal Adams. That's the big story now. He had a walking boot on and he was talking to the press, and I got to see a little bit of this, and he was tearing up. I'm not entirely sure if that's because he's afraid this injury may end his season or if it's because he's embarrassed at how poorly the team played or it's because he's tired of losing or it's because maybe he thinks that this is going to be the end of his run as a Jet, maybe gets traded in the offseason. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it's a little combination of everything. But update us on what he had to say and what you know about this injury right now. Yeah, well, first of all, I would say my best guess at this point is that it's a grab bag of all of those things that you just mentioned. I mean, uh, Jamal didn't have any details for us on the injury. Um, he wasn't in Adam Gase's injury report after the game because Gase only updates us after the game on guys that didn't finish the game. So we walked into the locker room and saw, um, the first time I saw Jamal, I saw him, he had one shoe on, he didn't have a shoe on his left foot and he was uh, limping toward the trainer's room. And then, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it was later, he came out in a walking boot and that's when we went over to speak with him. So, uh, you know, he wasn't sure if it was a serious injury or not, but he did tell us that, you know, it severely limited him on Sunday and that he uh, wasn't able to be effective because of that foot. So, uh, you know, that's obviously concerning, you know, with four weeks left, if it's 
bad enough to really hamper him on Sunday. You have to wonder about how much it's going to hamper him over these next four games. So um, there could certainly be some games coming up here where the Jets are uh, either without Jamal Adams or without him at full strength. And uh, that obviously did not work out well for them on Sunday against the Bengals. And you have to wonder how well they can perform with him without him moving forward, if that's the case. So, uh, it seems like he's going to have to get this thing checked out. He was kind of asked if he needed an MRI and, you know, what the deal is, if he's concerned that it could be a season ender, stuff like that. And he more or less demurred on all of that. He didn't really have uh, a good answer or a straight answer. He said they're still just kind of trying to find out and working on everything. So uh, details still to come on his injury. Hopefully Adam Gase will have more for us on Monday when we get to ch- the chance to talk to him on the conference call. But uh, we'll have to kind of wait and see a little bit on Jamal here. You also have to wonder how much that may have played into Greg Williams' plans early in the game because he may have planned to use Jamal Adams the way he had the last couple of weeks to play him to get some pressure. And without Jamal Adams being able to do that, he had to make adjustments and we didn't really get to see that until the second half. So you have to figure there's a good chance that Jamal Adams' injury early in this game really changed the trajectory of what Greg Williams was planning to do in this game. Yeah, it's certainly possible. At the very least, it certainly changes kind of how I was thinking about the game after the game ended. Uh, you know, I kind of uh, was a little hard on Jamal in my story that went up right at the gun when the game ended and then finding out afterward that he was injured and, you know, all of the ripple effects that that could have on the Jets' defense. It certainly makes you kind of view uh, that unit's performance through a different prism once you know that he was banged up and kind of just trying to do his best to, to fight through it on Sunday. Matt, that's when you add an editor's note and say a previous version of this column did not acknowledge the fact that Jamal Adams was injured. I apologize, and I'm going to now say that he wasn't anywhere near as bad as I thought he was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, you know, he obviously still was, wasn't impactful, so I got that part right, but uh, there was obviously some extenuating circumstances for it now that we know that. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about Le'Veon Bell because he spoke afterwards too and he clearly looked very frustrated and sounded very frustrated. To its credit, he didn't give you guys anything to work with in terms of stirring the pot. He tried to say all the right things and it's very clear that he's doing everything he can to not be a problem. But it sure seems like he's at the point where he's got to be questioning whether or not he made the right move coming here. Yeah, I mean, he basically, he kept saying that he wasn't surprised that he got more touches. You know, he wasn't surprised, he wasn't surprised, he wasn't surprised about how the Jets decided to deploy their run game. But, uh, you know, the tone of of his comments and kind of his body language throughout the whole thing certainly didn't sound like a guy that was unsurprised and uh, certainly seemed more like a guy that was peeved with how things played out. I know that obviously requires some reading between the lines. It's not exactly what he said to us, but uh, he certainly didn't look like a guy that was particularly thrilled after this game. He didn't sound like a guy that was particularly happy. So, um, yeah, I mean, it has not gone well for him at all with the Jets. And this should have been the game where he was able to get back on track and kind of break out and, uh, you know, have his first real big performance with this team and 
Instead, it wound up being just another clunker and, uh, you know, honestly, maybe the worst one yet because if you only put up, I think it was 32 rushing yards. Yeah, 32 rushing yards against the league's worst rushing defense. I mean, that is just brutal. How about Coach Gase? What did he have to say? So he was a bit defensive about his uh, run game usage and uh, basically just said that that's how the game shook out, shook out and that they were planning on using the run a bit more after the half. But, you know, they went out there and had two runs right off the bat that didn't really go anywhere. And then they had a couple three and outs. And all of a sudden now you're behind by two possessions and you're trying to chase the game. So um, when he was pressed on it, he was, uh, you know, a little bit defensive about why the Jets didn't go to the run more often in the first half. But um, that was kind of the big takeaway from, from Gase, other than, you know, the obvious of the Jets have to execute better and uh, not shoot themselves in the foot with penalties, which is obviously something we've heard a lot for the last 12 games here. Matt, any other players of note say anything in the locker room afterwards? Uh, for the most part, it was pretty slim pickings in the locker rooms at locker room afterward. Uh, Sam Darnold obviously spoke and, uh, you know, it was kind of a lot of white noise. I mean, if for Sam, uh, you know, like we said, it was kind of an average day and he wasn't the, the issue or anything like that. So um, there weren't a ton of questions about his individual performance. It was more about the offense as a whole. And, you know, it obviously was uh, a lot of him saying that they need to execute better and not take those penalties, not, you know, get big explosive plays called back because of those penalties. Basically the run in the mill stuff that you would expect. Um, Kelvin Beecham seemed like he was still a little peeved with some of the holding calls, including the one for a safety. So um, it didn't sound like he agreed with the calls. Uh, I would be curious to get his thoughts once he watches back the film, because at least from my vantage point, they certainly looked like holds. Um, but beyond that, it was uh, you know a pretty uh, somber locker room. Not a, a whole lot of guys that had all that much interesting to say to be honest with you matt can we talk about one thing that was very interesting to me and that's kelvin beecham's powder blue suit and tie he looked like a ceo in the locker room rather than a football player that was amazing i've never seen anybody that suited up that quickly after a game yeah i was feeling it man that was a good that was a great suit by beecham <laughs> and it took actually everything i had not to say that to him after the interview uh so it was it was really nice. He uh, always actually winds up having a, a pretty strong suit game, I think, Beecham. But, you know, he's a stand-up guy. He uh, does a lot of stuff in the community, a lot of business interests and stuff. So, you know, I think he is uh, well-prepared in that aspect for whatever his second career is after business. The guy certainly has the suit game down. Matt, I'm not even kidding. When I was watching him on TV, I almost texted you and told you to ask him if there were any investments he wanted me to get involved in because that's how professional and convincing he looked in that powder blue suit. That was amazing. Yeah, he could have sold me some stocks or something right about that. I think, <laughs> I think he could have got me. Anything else we missed, Matt? No, I think, I think that's the long and short of it, Scott. Uh, you know, just another, uh, another interesting and kind of depressing day in this bizarre jet season that's just been one thing after another another so uh i know it's in some sense surprising that they lost this one but in another sense it seems perfectly fitting for how this year has gone there is one good thing that came out of this though matt you were able to get out of there early on a flight out of cincinnati so you don't have to spend the night in cincy you can come back home to icy new jersey aren't you excited 
I mean, that's the goal. I am currently sitting <laughs> at the uh, airport terminal here. My flight has been delayed by 51 minutes, and I'm praying to God that it gets out of here so I can get to Newark uh, and back to my own bed instead of the 6 a.m. flight I originally had scheduled. Waking up at 4 a.m. didn't sound super fun, so uh, really hoping to get out of here now and not have to stick around for uh, that much longer. Matt, not to cast dispersions on Cincinnati because I'm sure it's a lovely place and I'm sure the people in Cincinnati are quite lovely as well, but it's not exactly a place that a lot of people would think of as a place you would go wild spending money in, somewhere where if you had an expense account, you might be able to live it up on the town or anything like that. But did you get an opportunity to do at least a little something fun while you were in Cincinnati? Yeah, we went out for uh, dinner, a bunch of uh, the reporters on Saturday night. So that was nice. Good good meal at the Montgomery Inn, which is a you know, notable place around here. So uh, ate a bunch of ribs, everything like that. That was good. But uh, yeah, other than that, not so much. I uh, had a, a late flight in yesterday and now obviously leaving early. This, let's put it this way. This isn't the Miami trip. So uh, I think I think I can leave it at that. The Miami trip sounded like a lot of fun. Jets and Dolphins would have been part of that trip. And you can see the Jets and the Dolphins again because the rematch is coming up this Sunday. But it's not in sunny Miami this time. It's here in New Jersey. So if you want to go see the Jets and the Dolphins and you don't have your tickets yet, you want to get good tickets at a good price, go ahead and download the Vivid Seats mobile app right now and use the promo code OVERTIME at checkout. You'll get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. You can go to that Jets-Dolphins game, or you can go to something else. If you want, you can go to a wrestling match. You can go to a boxing match. You can go to a concert, a hockey game, a basketball game, anything you want. Whatever it is you want to go to, just download the Vivid Seats mobile app, use the promo code OVERTIME, and you will get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. But unfortunately, you can't use that discount on food. And it sounds like the food in Cincinnati was pretty solid, but not quite as good as what you would have had at Thanksgiving dinner or anything, right? Uh, it was really good, actually. I, I will give them credit. We had a really, really good dinner on Saturday night. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to try to hit every place around here while I'm in town. I, I, I'm good. So you're not going to be applying for a job covering the Cincinnati Bengals anytime soon? No, you, you certainly don't have to worry about that. I will, uh, I will stick around in the New York area. Well, that's good, Matt, because if you do go to Cincinnati, then that means that somebody else is going to come into NJ.com and take your spot. And I might not enjoy talking to that person as much and may not want to have him on the show every week after the game. So I'm glad you're sticking around and I hope you have a safe flight back to New Jersey. I hope that it takes off on time. I want you to get out of there, be able to sleep in your own bed tonight and not have to worry about, like you said, getting up at four o'clock in the morning. But... I know that while you're waiting in the airport, you've got plenty of stuff that you're churning out that you're going to put up on NJ.com, and there's going to be plenty of stuff that you're going to have up tomorrow as well. So why don't you let everybody know what's in store for them if they log on to NJ.com slash Jets? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I've got a little look at kind of who the biggest culprits were on this from this loss. So that'll be up on Monday morning. Uh, I also got a chance to speak with Wes Austin after the game a little bit and uh, picked his brain about the Rutgers situation. Obviously, uh, he just left that program, so wanted to talk to him a little bit about Greg Schiano with that news of him getting rehired. So, uh, you know, keep an eye out for that if you happen to also be a Rutgers fan. Uh, and I should have more on Le'Veon Bell and uh, Adam Gase's usage of him as well. So, uh, yeah, head on over to NJ.com slash Jets. About a month left in the season here, so appreciate you guys all 
sticking uh, sticking around, reading stuff uh, down the stretch here. And uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter as well, it's M underscore S-T-Y-P-U-L-K-O-S-K-I. Matt, I can tell you that you can expect a little bit of Greg Shiano Rutgers talk later this week on this show because Jamal Westerman, who appears on the program every week, former Jet, former Rutgers player, is super excited that his old coach is coming back to town. So I'm looking forward to picking his brain on that one the same way that you'd pick Bless Austin's brain about Greg Shiano coming back to Rutgers to hopefully turn the program around and save it and push it in the right direction. So if you want to read about that and all the other things surrounding the Jets, Matt's going to have a ton of material up over at nj.com slash Jets. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at M underscore Stipulkoski. That's S-T-Y-P-U-L-K-O-S-K-I. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.